the RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And you're welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast, ahead of the start of the November International Series this weekend. It is Ireland taking on Japan at the Aviva Stadium. And to go through the team and the likely outcome of the game itself, I'm delighted to be joined by Donald Lennon, Bernard Jackman and Wes Liddy, as always, on the podcast. You're welcome, gentlemen. Uh, we have the team, and uh, I'd like to say it's surprising, and there's a few uh, exciting features, Donald Lennon, to get uh, worked up about, but it's pretty much as expected. There's nothing really to shout home about. Uh, I'm a little bit underwhelmed. I don't know if that's being uh, unfair to Andy Fowler and the squad, but I thought there might be more new faces to talk about. But it's quite... Uh, as you were and quite familiar at the moment. Yeah, it is. Look, there's a lot of interesting combinations, not least to the back row. Uh, personally, delighted that um, Ronan Kelleher gets his start. I think he's benefited hugely from his exposure on that Lions tour. Um, surprised James Lowe is on the wing, I have to say, given the other contenders that were there. And surprised there seems to be a kind of a jet get out of jail card just in case with, you know, selections of. Uh, you know, a lot of players on the bench. But look, uh, I think really you got to look at it in the context, and this is maybe a, a discussion for another day. But when I look at the way the, the fixture calendar is going, where on one hand you have the four provinces who don't have a game for five weeks uh, while the URC is off, and then on the other hand you have an international calendar that's flagged months and months in advance, and we seem to be all our top players, certainly all our Lions, have little or no game time going into, you know, a key element of the season. Conor Murray, 21 minutes played. I think Ty Furlong, one or two little cameo appearances. Uh, I just think it's daft. I mean, this is the showcase of the game. It's international rugby. Uh, thankfully, we could have sellout crowds for three games in the Aviva Stadium. And uh, a lot of our key players are way short of, of game time. I just don't get it. Oh, well, this is an Irish thing, though. Look at the, the Gallagher Premiership across the water. The, the Lions players have been back for the last month. I mean, it's, it's exclusively an Irish problem. Yeah, look, it's something, I suppose, it, it, it goes back 10 or 15 years to the whole time management thing, which was great, and it served Ireland well at the time. Uh, but I think, look, there is a wider issue at play here. Like, you look at the season now, you uh, the old Pro 14 as it was, the Gallagher Premiership, their finals were always in the end of May. You had the top 14 in France was the only final that went into June. Now, without anybody saying anything, those finals are all extended into the middle or end of June, which means players go away Ireland have a three-test tour good into July, which means it's August by the time they come back. So you're always kind of rushing for these November internationals. But look, as I say, it's probably um, a debate for another day. But I think Unless, and you know, when you have all our, our so many interests in rugby now, not least, uh, you know, venture capitalists coming into the game, uh, unless we get this thing aligned, it's just a mess really for me at the moment. Well, let's just, let's just talk about it for a minute because it is an interesting point uh, in the context of the team this weekend as well. I mean, to say Tyke Vernon has played very little rugby, Conor Murray, virtually none. Tyke Vernon is only just back. Um, well, the last couple of weeks, I suppose. But, Birch, you know, uh, the players do seem to be treated as, as, as cattle products here, being kind of herded from game to game to game. And I, I heard somebody during the week, I can't remember, I think it was on Off the Ball News, so I'll make the comparison about the NFL. Like, American football players are in a truncated short season. They have, 
you know, how many games, 20 games, and that's it, and they're done and have a large break, such as the level of physicality in the sport that the players need that recuperation time. The same is not afforded to rugby. And this is just heading for, I think they're heading for, for troubled waters here. Yeah, they are. And look, we're probably lucky here that we can kind of pull them out um, when we need to because it's all centrally contracted. But there was a push to align the global season. Um, that that fell through. The problem, it's it's very difficult. And now, I, I know what Don was saying now, you have CVC money, private equity money, but in some ways that even adds to the complications of of trying to get a more logical global season or, or international player season um, because they, they've invested in, in rugby to turn a profit. You know what I mean? So um, I don't know where the solution uh, to this is, but it, it, I would totally agree with Donald. It's, it's far from ideal. I mean, you know, look, just to add another layer to this. I mean, the Welsh game last week against New Zealand outside the test window, you know, it, it earned, I think 2 million for the All Blacks, 4 million for, uh, for Wales, so short term, yeah, it gives both parties uh, an improved bank balance. But I, I would wonder, you know, uh, how many Welsh fans driving home uh, from Cardiff last Saturday night felt shortchanged, you know. And there's only so much. Look, the All Blacks are always a a, a great draw, um, but you know, you you want to have your best players uh, playing against them. So the All Blacks went to America, played a. An exhibition game, you know, got a, got a million or whatever for that. Didn't really do the USA or, or rugby in, in America. I don't think a huge amount of um, of benefit in terms of a, a positive PR uh, exercise. And then obviously, you know, I think the Wales game damages rugby in Wales long term, even though short term um, it's it, it's a benefit. And look, at it's, it's difficult. Wales have players playing outside of Wales and those English clubs wouldn't release them, etc. But just the whole... The whole calendar at the moment um, is is far from ideal, and, and, and I would agree with Donald. It needs to be looked at. Okay, Wesley, your thoughts on the the team? Um, just to give you the pack first of all, if we can concentrate on the pack for a minute. So, Andrew Porter, Ronan Kelleher, and Tyke Furlong in the front row. Tyke Byrne, James Ryan in the second row. Uh, Caelan Doris, Van der Fleer, and Jack Conan in the back row. The back five from four to eight, Wes, is probably one of the most mobile uh, five forwards we've had in an Irish team for quite some time, which. I'm hoping would lead to a, a kind of a fast-paced, um, frenetic kind of style of rugby to match what is the pace in that back row, particularly in the second row as well with uh, Byrne and James Ryan. Would you be confident that that will materialise on Saturday afternoon? You'd hope. Um, I think... Uh, I probably wouldn't agree that it's a very safe, predictable selection, to be honest. Like, I mean... Some of the changes, if you look at the pack, like some of the changes are well flagged, so to speak, with like the likes of Porter being in, at loosehead. But like it's it's still a brave uh, call. It's still a new departure. It's still like it's not really. It's stuff. not really Andrew Porter at loosehead in international is not really a brave call, is it? I think it's setting their stall out for what they're trying to do, and I think they're acknowledging a problem with a lack of size and a lack of dynamism that they've maybe had in the pack at times. I think there's a couple of sacred cows that have been left out. Peter O'Mahony being one, Ian Henderson arguably to a lesser extent. So they were brave enough calls. I think there's huge athleticism with Van der Fleer, Doris and Conan. Um, there's not massive size, but um, they're all good carriers. They're all powerful. And like, you know, I suppose Bert wrote a piece about Japan at the weekend that was very interesting and yeah. kind of centred on this clear identity and philosophy they have and how they want to play the game. And it's very public knowledge at this point. And I, I would hope that that forward selection for Ireland at least uh, 
hints at the start of a process where this current team's identity and philosophy is going to become clear because up to this point, I think it's been a bit mix and gather and kind of... Yeah, that, that was, that was I, my I, point. I, I, yeah, I think that's a good point on the basis that, look, we have seen it time and time again over the years that, especially come World Cup time, uh, we can play the, the, the bashing game, the high physical stakes game, maybe once or twice in a window. If we have to do it two or three weeks in a row, we're just not up to it. We've seen time and again the likes of England, South Africa, France even, just being too powerful for us. So uh, I do think if the, if the move of Porter uh, to lose head is the start of looking for more forwards who are more comfortable with the ball in hand, uh, I think, you know, with the likes of Kelleher developing the way he is and Dan Sheehan, I think that's a significant addition to the bench as well. We've seen what he can do for Leinster. Uh, so it does hint uh, with Ty Byrne in the second row. It does hint that maybe we are looking to, um, you know, just to play a little bit more, look to put more of those tip-on passes on board and, and challenge teams by keeping the ball as opposed to kicking it away all the time, which, yeah. let's be honest, is what we have done for the last two or three years. It, it, uh, then it looks, I think it looks it's a like step a pack that right tempo, Donald, I think. But, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I would, yeah. no, and I'd be a huge fan of Ian Henderson. I think you, you put him into the mix as well. But I mean, the key is, as we all know, you've got to have five forwards, at least on the bench, who are capable of continuing that. That's the one thing with New Zealand. You see all the time, the guys that they bring in with 20, 25 minutes, uh, they all add something else. Uh, but they're all able to do the basics of the game so well. So I think that it is an attempt to uh, add one or two more layers to our team. And if that's the case, then well and good. Now, yes. the only thing you have to be careful against Japan, because the last thing you want to do is try and take them on in a game that suits them uh, way better. Because, you know, as, 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 uh, as we know, they look to keep the ball and play longer than anybody else. So I think it's an element of getting the balance to your game right. Yeah, but does the result matter, Donald? I mean, what I'm saying by that is, like, would you, would you not rather... You asked me that, Q. You asked me that when we did the commentary for Japan and Ireland last July, and I'll give yes. you exactly. It certainly matters to Andy Farrell. And it yeah. does matter. Of course it matters. If Ireland were to start their three-game um, sequence of, of matches with a defeat to Japan, what will we be talking about on this thing next week? Come on. Well, I tell you what. Of course it matters. My point is... Uh, Bernard, it, it matters if you lose, Hugh, more than if you win, I think. Well, I tell you what, what I want to see for the next three tests in Ireland, I really don't care about the results either way, three ways. I want to see an Ireland team with what Wes mentioned, Bernard, is an identity, a shape to uh, the game plan that we are going to be implementing over the next three weeks. So we can say, all right, okay, this is what Andy Farrell and the lads are at. This is our attacking shape now. This is what we're building for the next couple of years. And this is the Ireland stamp, if you like, that we're taking to the international game. I'd much rather be able to come out of the next three um, international match days with a clearer vision of what they're actually trying to do, rather than uh, getting three wins on the bounce. That's my... That's my yeah, guess. no, look, at uh, I think uh, I would agree that this is a very, very good Irish pack on, on paper. Um, but the Man United team on paper is, is very good at the moment uh, as well. But it's hard to see what they're trying to do. And bar having Ronaldo um, get him out of trouble every, uh, every, every, every second game. So like, that's the question mark. So the, I think the coaches have been there long enough now and... and you know they've they've created a really nice environment. Everyone loves being in camp. I, I for me, it's the bench that's maybe a little bit frustrating in terms of, you know, it's a very very experienced bench, um, and like was that an opportunity to maybe 
give some more players. Like we we know what Keen Healy can do. Yeah. We know what Peter Manny can do. You know, I, yeah. I, I can understand Conor Murray because maybe he wants to get 20 minutes into Conor Murray and, he, and his, he's part of his plan to start next week. But also I would say if James Gibson Park is your is your starting nine, which uh, we don't, we don't know, I, I don't know who's Andy Farrell's first choice nine. He does like Gibson Park, um, that's for sure. But is he going to play Gibson Park against New Zealand because he thinks Gibson Park is the man to threaten around the fringes to play high tempo to to put the likes of Andrew Porter, Ronan Kelleher on the front foot, Caelan Doris. Like, it's a pack built with lots of ball carriers. Um, but I don't think static ball is, is going to be good enough against the, the All Blacks. I think the nine needs to to probe and, and, and create holes. And if that's the case, well, then Casey should be on, on the yeah. bench because you're going with two, two like for like. So I think it's... I wonder I wonder how um, how tough fire it is in terms of selection. Um, and is this the group that are going to go to the World Cup regardless of, of kind of current form, etc. Like for me, Gavin Coombs, I would could he not be on the bench this weekend? And could he not bring he more impact? And that's not right enough. Bench. That's not right enough, Peter Manny. If 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 Faz thinks Peter Manny is the man we need to to be able to beat the, the All Blacks next week and we're gonna, you know, go after him at the breakdown, we're gonna go after him at defensive lineouts, etc. I could totally understand that. Look, the question I'm trying to figure out is What's the value of having, you know, how many caps we have on the bench, uh, over 300 caps on the bench? Yeah. Um, and is that, like, given there's only three tests, um, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just think, the, look, I'm not, I wouldn't criticise the starting team too much. Um, I would definitely have questions around the bench that I think we could have been a little bit braver there. The bench is... Yeah, I think the, the thing that annoys me most, you is that we, we're still at this thing of giving the newer, younger fellas their caps against the likes of the USA are Japan, and no, Japan are, are, are for me, they are a, a tier one country, even though they're classified as tier two. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't see the point in it. What do you learn putting them out against the USA? Or, um, no, at least in this window, you've three really good teams. Like Argentina may not have won a match. I think they lost all six games in the rugby championship, but they'll be battle-hardened. They'll be a difficult side to play against. Um, so, therefore... Uh, the likes of your your Gavin Coombses and these guys, you definitely um, would learn something by exposing them to the likes of Argentina. But uh, yeah. look, I mean, we're we're giving out as well about. Um, just remember, we were supposed to be playing the USA in Las Vegas last week, but that was only called off because of COVID. So we might have had an excuse then play a load of fellas against USA, who we saw was uh, an MSL team. New Zealand scored 104, 16 tries against them. So. I mean, the, the, the biggest problem I have all the time is we get to the World Cup and the guys who are on the fringe, they've never got exposure against the really, like, France, New Zealand, Australia or England. The guys who will test you when you're in the knockout phase of the World Cup. And that is something, like, Andy Farrell has suggested, uh, Johnny Sexton came out during the week, there seems to be a different emphasis for the first time. Remember, he's been through three World Cup cycles already. They're now mentioning the World Cup. They're not just looking down. The, well, we're told at least that the World Cup, that everything they're doing now is with the World Cup in focus. Well, how, where does that manifest itself? Surely it should be in selection. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and I look at it as well. You know, Jameson Gibson Park, I, I, I don't know. As, as Bernard said, Andy Farrell clearly, you know, thinks very highly of him. Uh, he's not first choice at Leinster most of the time, yet he's, you know, seems to be pushing there for first choice with the uh, Irish setup, And then, like Craig Casey and Gavin Coombs between them have been man of the match for the majority of Munster's games in the URC so far this season, yet neither 
even makes the bench. That's where my frustration with this. When I say the same old tired old, I'm predominantly looking at this bench and I'm saying Keane Healy, you know, Ian Henderson, Peter Armandy, Connor Murray, Keith Earls. We know exactly what they can do. We know exactly what they can do for the last 10 years. Why, why are we not seeing younger guys be given a chance? It's, um, it's frustrating for some people. <laughs> yeah, I, I think both of those guys, Coombs and Casey, should probably be involved. Um, like as Birch said, you know, he's got safe for argument's sake. He's got Peter O'Mahony in there because he feels he's going to need him next week uh, in terms of attacking the New Zealand line out or breakdown or whatever it may be. Like as much as a win over New Zealand is massive anytime, like it's only happened what twice, um, and it's huge for confidence and it probably. I suppose it gives this team a real sense of momentum if they get the win, but equally, I mean, we beat New Zealand two years out from a World Cup, the last World Cup cycle, and it amounted to absolutely nothing come the World Cup. So I, I, wouldn't, be, I, I wouldn't be going against a, a long-term plan for the sake of a short-term gain if it's a marginal call between the two, I suppose I'm saying. Donald, did you want to come in on that side? No. Yeah, no, no, I was fine. I was just going to say, beating them two years out from the last World Cup didn't do us any good when uh, we got to the quarter final the last time. It depends, that's that's exactly anything, my point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, if anything, it put them on notice. Look, this crowd, if we're not tuned in, are capable of creating damage. Uh, but look, I know New Zealand have a greater strength and depth than anybody else, but they keep losing players to Europe. How many former All Blacks in their mid to late 20s are playing in Europe? Yes, I went through their squad. They've been away, bear in mind, since the last week of August. They haven't been able to go back to New Zealand when the Rugby Championship completed. They had to stay there in camp before they went to America. They're 40 players on their tour. Um, uh, some of the back row forwards they have, like your new names. I'm talking about, you know, if you look at the guys, like obviously Sam Kane and um, Artie Sevea were there last time out. But uh, like Ethan Blackadder, Shannon Frizzell, uh, Akira Iwone, Luke Jacobson, Dalton Papali, Hoskins Satutu. All these guys have emerged in the last 12 to 18 months and all of them have got exposure in against first-class opposition. That, for me, is the key difference. They're building a squad come next World Cup. I mean, it's frightening. Um, you look at like Dane Coles and uh, Cody Taylor, two experienced hookers. They have your man Amua and uh, Takiyaha, two incredibly exposed of young fellas coming in behind them. This is their planning two years out. Um, and that, to me, is the difference between being able to negotiate your way through the knockout phase and repeatedly competing at World Cups compared to where we've been since forever. We've never got to a semi-final. Yeah, well, you know, on the plus side for Ireland, Donald, I mean, Johnny Sexton could be making his 150th cap by the time the World Cup's around. He'd be 38 years of age. So, you know what I mean? That's, that's the flip side of us. I, I can understand uh, Sexton saying until after the Six Nations is going to decide about the World Cup. Um, because it, then it's only a year away. I'm sure if he's still playing, it's, you know, it's, it's more than likely. I guess he's taking a Hugh, game by game. Yeah. Hugh, just something, uh, the, uh, a deeper-rooted problem um uh, in terms of where we are is if you look at the starting team how reliant we are on the Leinster production line okay and, and news four David news four has been on the record saying oh we're, we're too reliant on the schools yeah. etc but there's no evidence of, of that changing our club side went to Italy last week and got heavily beaten by by uh, Italy I think it was 44 44 points to uh, a single single figure um and this team I mean bar Gibson Park, James Lowe and Bundy Aki, 
Um, the rest have all come through the Leinster, the Leinster system, and all of them, bar bar Ty Furlong, have come through the the school. So, um, so for all the talk about you know uh, IQ, so we have this team looking in England for for talent. For all the talk about sevens, the reality is we're still we're still where we were. In actual fact, we're we've become more reliant on on the Leinster production system than we were ten years ago when we had a, a kind of a balance of of Munster, Leinster, uh, a more Ulster contingent uh, and the odd Connacht player. So that's something, you know, it hasn't been by design. We're trying to get away from being reliant on it, but for whatever reason, um, we, we've failed to, to change our production line. In actual fact, we've become more reliant than before. And, you know, one Ulster player in the 23, um, and that's something that's either, it's good or bad for, for Irish rugby. I would, I would say it's not ideal, to be honest. Um, yeah. But it's just something to think about when you look at that team um, in terms of where we're getting our players from. Uh, and I know the population bias is here. Um, and we have mentioned guys like Casey and Coombs, who, who we think could be in, or could definitely be in the 23. Um, but we are very, very much overly reliant. And, and that's look, that's on Leinster's fault or, or those players' fault or, or where they produce fault. But we haven't done a huge amount to, to keep up or catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Um... All right, lads. Um, there's plenty of other stories I want to talk about, um, if you don't mind. Um, Birch, did you go up against Carl Heyman in your time in Grenoble over um, when he was playing with, with Toulon there? Did you have any experience with him? Did you yeah, I, I had a few beers with him post-match um, uh, and we had some mutual friends from the, from the Highlanders. Obviously, he went to Poe then and he had some difficulties off-field um, yeah. as a coach. I think the signs, look at what, you know, it was certainly talked about um in the game a little bit that he was struggling you know uh, uh, and his behavior certainly changed in Poe he was a um uh, he was a very quiet man and, and 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 he started to be a little bit erratic and he's come out this week and spoke about those changes um so yeah I never I don't think I ever played against him but I certainly got to know a very likable guy part of that Toulon team that changed uh Toulon's you know history and, and became successful and uh, yeah it's terrible to see um, what he's going, what he's going through now, and and also I don't know if anyone, if, if people picked up on it, but there's a there's a contingent of rugby league players of the same generation, well maybe a bit older, Bobby Goulding and Co. Um, who would have been on on TV when when I was growing up, and and they've also put together a group um, to to take a, a claim against the, the rugby league authorities around concussion. So um, yeah, it's 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 scary how prevalent it seems to be in. In, in my generation and, and obviously the generation before that and, and scarily I think the physicality has gone up massively so mm. um, you know it, it could be something that's that's going to come down the track in, in a bigger way It looks like it will I mean it's, it's pretty frightening stuff really um, as far as he's concerned 41 years of age you know he's, he's spoken about getting an interview he's been diagnosed with early onset dementia and he spoke about you know the personality change that he's gone through he got incredible headaches he, he um, he, he was forgetful. He was at a situation where he went to renew his son's passport and he couldn't remember his son's middle name. And, and he I was on the phone trying to get it renewed and he, he had to apologise to um, the person at the other end of the phone in the passport office saying, sorry, I can't remember my son's name. Um, as he said, he, he had a, a domestic violence interview incident um, for which... Um, you know, he, he had a, a suspended jail sentence for that. He's spoken about that in, in his interview. It's a very frank interview, but Donald, it's, I mean, early onset dementia at the age of 41 must be a wholly frightening and unsettling experience uh, for someone like him. And, and look, as I guess he's joined this class action suit that Bernard mentioned there as regards to world rugby and rugby union, and that seems to be growing. But it, it is just another sobering reminder, I guess, of the dangers that come with this very physical sport that we love. 
Yeah, look, I think it's it's definitely a legacy of that period there, you know, seven, eight, 10, 12 years ago when the focus, you, you had the, the macho image around concussion, um, you know, where it wasn't seen as a, a serious injury, where it was seen as almost a weakness if you went off because, um, you know, some of the symptoms, okay, you felt you were all right within a minute or two minutes of getting a bang. I think we have a far greater understanding of what's involved now, but it must be quite frightening for players of that generation who finished up in the last seven or eight years. Um, you know, can you imagine, and we all get a little bit forgetful at, at times, but could you imagine for somebody in that age bracket who, uh, you know, starts getting forgetful and he's beginning to worry then, oh God, am I a victim of this? Do I have um, dementia or is it something that's coming down the track? I mean, it's, it's uh, something that's been hanging over uh, World Rugby, uh, the RFU I know were sort of making contingency plans for this a number of years ago. Um, the, the Steve Thompson case and that class action against the, the Rugby Union and the Welsh Rugby Union hasn't come to fore, I'm not sure. I, I think it's due to come up in the next six months. But it has massive implications for the game. And it is frightening just how physical the game has got. Even, you know, every all, all players at all levels, even club players now, you see lads coming out of school, they're way bigger and stronger than they've been at any stage before. And the collisions, even in, in, in club rugby, can be quite um, impactful. But um, look, I think to be fair, there's been a lot of focus on this area in the past two or three years. Medical teams within the professional setup have got uh, a lot better. But still, um, the collisions are such that you just feel it, it, it may reduce the cases, but it's, it's definitely not going to eliminate it. So look, I think this story and the fallout from that Carl Heyman um, um, stuff during the week, it was frightening. It was like watching, you know, the concussion film on the NFL when it came out first, you know, yeah. similar mood-changing things with former NFL players, how it affected them and their families off the field. So it's a mirror image of, uh, of what we saw in NFL a number of years ago. So that really is a worry. And I, I remember that, the, 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 I guess, the, the, the case around the NFL at the time, Dr. Bennett O'Malo, I think his name was, um, who kind of led the charge in in developing CTE, what we now know to be um, concussion, if you like. Aina Falvey, uh, Wes, has spoken about this as well, about the um, World Rugby and what they have done to kind of make the game safer and what they are constantly doing and reviewing to try and make sure player safety is at the fore. It'd be interesting from a legal perspective, though, um, how much weight is given to what World Rugby knew and could have done at the time versus what they have been doing and where the fault lies in a, in a lawsuit such as this. You, you'd wonder where the law will come down in determining you know, how much culpability World Rugby had in terms of what they knew and what they could have done back in the day because this is all relatively new, I think. Well, you, you'd hope that <clears throat> Donald's point uh, proves to be true that obviously Carl Heyman would have played the bulk of his career in a period maybe just immediately before things started to be heavily legislated this way. And it's not any solace to him or anyone else, but you would hope maybe steps have been taken that these things don't become more and more prevalent despite the growing physicality because different laws have been tweaked around it. But like on a human side, like it's absolutely sickening, like the thought of 41 year old with dementia, like I was an elderly parent with dementia and, like it's just it's alien to think of someone at that age with us. Um, yeah, brilliant player, uh, highest paid player in the world at one point. Probably didn't get the full kind of credit he deserved, I suppose, because he he moved on from the All Blacks before they kind of broke that World Cup hoodoo. But 
I think in New Zealand he'd probably be regarded as the best tight heads that, that's ever played for New Zealand. So yeah, just goes to show you it can be anyone. And like the NFL one is a difficult comparison because in a lot of ways the NFL is almost like a blood sport. Some of the things that goes on around the laws of tackle techniques, around you know bounties and games that we've heard about, just the the sheer physicality of it. But as you say, you know players are playing for thirty second spurts in the NFL in a sixteen game season, whereas rugby is week in, week out over a, a nine-month period. So it probably, even though the impact isn't as big, the risk probably starts to become just as big by just by sheer volume of exposure to these kind of incidents. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we'll watch and see as the case uh, progresses. But uh, you just said your, your thoughts, Ed, Carl Heyman, but it's, it's horrific stuff, as he said. Just um, on, Eddie... a, on a lighter note, Hugh, um, he was famous when he played for Newcastle. The Highlanders and Otago are sponsored by Spate Lager. I don't know if any of you ever been to New Zealand might have, yeah, might have drank it. And uh, he, used, he used to send him, he was an ambassador, <laughs> or he used to send him a crate of Spate Lager a year. And he used to have these famous garage parties. Uh, so whenever, Newcastle is a long bus, bus trip, but if you can get an invite after the match back to Carl's garage for, for a few free cans of Spate, um, it, it was legendary. So uh, yeah, he, was, he enjoyed the, he's old school off the field as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, brilliant. Um, Eddie Jones, Birch, I'll just kick off with you on this one um, because he's been in the, the newspapers. Well, one paper in particular seemed to have a right go from uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, so much so that in interviews he's, he's kind of had to, um, I guess, defend himself a little bit against uh, what are seemed to be quite uh, gruff tactics. You know, thought, the article itself in question of the Times talked about a huge amount of staff turnover because his methods of coaching and his um, his, his work ethic is so uh, severe that people actually can't stay for any sustained period of time before they just burn out completely. You know, John Mitchell has gone back to New Zealand, the famous story about him wanting to go and see his son play a cricket match and Eddie Jones didn't uh, take too kindly on it, despite the fact that everybody was on a day off. But look, Eddie Jones, um, you know, in this particular article, seems to have uh, a right vendetta against him and his coaching methods. I have to say, I've always found him to be quite curt. I've always enjoyed uh, his, his mannerisms with the press, which is quite straight. Um, and I think at the end of the day, if you're judging his CV, it's not a bad CV for a head coach to have, is it? No, he's 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 phenomenally successful in terms of, of results. And, um, you know, some people might argue how long that style lasts. Um, but I, I think it's a bit harsh on him, to be honest. I think um, he has done a very good job in England um, results wise. He is very hard on staff. Those stories in, in, the, in the industry um are notorious i mean emails at half two in the morning looking for something done by half five and let's come down for breakfast and he's asking them have you got that done for me and they're like what i went to bed at one o'clock and there was there was no no request but that's the way he is he's not like lying in bed himself you know he's he's absolutely all action and he's reinvented himself so many times um it's probably hard to keep up with him if you're a support staff, to be honest. And John Mitchell has gone to Wasps as director of rugby. Um, and, you know, there was definitely tension there uh, at the end. Um, but having said that, guys like Scott Wisemantle, who I know is now in Australia, you know, worked for him um, in a club in Japan, worked for him with Japan, uh, worked with him in England. You know, there's, you know, every it depends on the personality you are, I suppose, how, how um, sensitive you are to to being called out or questioned. And, and the reality is, you know, some of the most successful teams have been driven by autocratic leadership 
like that. And obviously, you know, at the moment, it's all about empowerment and, and happy environment and psychological safety. And I'm not against that at all. But the reality is, is that, you know, Eddie Jones is he's always trying to reinvent himself, but he has clear uh, philosophy around how hard the support staff need to work, what kind of attitude players need to have. And, you know, he got 80 minutes away from a World Cup um, with England. Obviously, they had a difficult season last year, but, like, look at how open he was to that review process. I mean, England did a full review after a poor Six Nations. Um, Eddie was, you know, was questioned and had to uh, agree to change in certain areas, which is, again, you know, it's counter... Um, uh, it's counter to what we're being portrayed to him as being a an absolute psychopath. So, yeah. uh, and also look at those English players. Um, you know, the likes of Owen Farrell, etc. Um, they all have enough standing in the game to to get Eddie removed if if they don't believe he's the man to lead him. There's no doubt. So I I think look at it's interesting. It sells papers. People like talking about it. It fits into the the smart ass impression we get of him in press conference, etc. He is hard on journalists, you know, and. Uh, uh, that's not smart. If if uh, you know, they, they obviously wait for a few bad results to to get you back. Um, but I, I think there's no one as as hard on uh, or as open to review uh, as Eddie is, and um, the things he's done badly. He's come out. He, he was interviewed last week on BT, and he said, "Yeah, he has made mistakes, you know, um, but his sole purpose is to make the team better." And I think the people who are who understand that um, will get on the get on the bus. Yeah, I heard that interview on BT. Um, Matt Williams is very good on this, Donald. Matt Williams said, like, Eddie Jones has been described as old school, as, as some sort of, uh, you know, um, criticism of him, that this term old school is actually like a derogatory term. And Eddie Jones says, what, what the hell are you talking about? And actually, Matt was very good at saying, hang on, old school just means um, a certain type of value system that has, you know, actually served him very well over the years. And he has been new school enough to change his ways whenever rugby has needed and actually has been ahead of the curve on many occasions at the forefront of actually predicting curves in the game of rugby union throughout the years. And his CV, as I said, speaks for itself. How do you see him overall? What's your view on Eddie Jones? Well, I think, look, you have to admire him, certainly from afar. Uh, I look at what he's done in the game. I mean, he was, you know, brought Australia to a World Cup final, brought England to a World Cup final. He was on the staff of South Africa in 2007 when they won the World Cup final. Um, I think the, the key issue here is uh, his, his own personal work ethic and his desire and drive in his, like, he's nearly 60 years of age, yet... He is more hungry to improve himself than any coach of that era. When you talk about old school, I think Matt Williams is right. If you look who are the best coaches in the world over the past five, six, seven years, you're looking at the likes of Graham Henry, Steve Hansen, um, Eddie Jones, um, all guys who were in their late 50s to early 60s who've experienced the game. Now, I do think the dynamic of the young players has changed now. A lot of them... Everything has been so prescribed to them coming up through the academy systems and all that. Uh, some of them can take the, the, the tough love, if you like. And I do think you have to have a balance. Uh, and it must have been even more difficult over the last 18 months when you have COVID and you have teams and players operating in a very tight bubble. So when you can't get a break from that. But, um, you know, I, I was interested when Bert said that, you know, Eddie Jones, he came in, they did have a review after the World Cup as to what went wrong. Um, obviously, this, this, uh, the England camp doesn't seem to have been the, most, the happiest place in the world to be part of. But uh, I don't know whether he saw John Barclay had an article in the Times this morning 
where he's talking about Richard Cochran. Now, Richard Cochran has just been brought in by Eddie Jones as his new forwards coach. And John Barkley spoke about how parking the car in Murrayfield for training with Edinburgh on the morning, he dreaded going into work because uh, Richard Cockrell was brutal, rude and aggressive. <laughs> so is he, is he the good cop that's been brought in to match Eddie Jones's bad cop? Uh, I saw Lawrence Delalio wrote about it in the Times where he said, look, I mean, it must be horrific to, to be involved in an environment like that. No, you flip it. Uh, 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 the Irish environment seems to be fantastic. Everybody loves Andy Farrell. They all seem to get on great. Yeah. Um, but you wonder, could, could, could they do with a bit of tough lobby? <laughs> Look, it's a, it's a question of balance. It's also a question of it only has a limited time span. And I, I told you the story before about the two IRB officials who said to me after the World Cup, and I suggested Eddie Jones will be a, a loss to Japan after 2015 when they beat South Africa. He said, absolutely no way. Four years is the max that you could take working with him. Um, obviously, his methods are a means to an end, but he's now gone into year five and six in England. And you just wonder, is that one of the issues there? But certainly, uh, Richard Cockrell, when you're talking about old school, you ain't going to get more old school than him. So... Uh, It'd be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, it was funny actually. During lockdown, he, he came on a at a coaching webinar, and he was he was brilliant. But uh, at the end, he took some question and answers, and one of the coaches said to him, "Eddie, just give us one one tip." And uh, they were expecting obviously a tactical or a technical bit of advice. He goes, "Oh, get a dog." He goes, "Even when your wife hates you, all the players hate you, the coaches hate you. You go home, the dog wags his tail and, and gives you a lick, whatever." So that was his solution to um, to not being loved. But would you, uh, would, would you put would you put Steve Diamond in that kind of bracket as yeah, well? Diamond, yeah, Diamond was tough um, yeah, yeah. for sure. But um, it uh, but he he has he has six dogs, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Diamond will be back. Diamond will be back in the game. And, and Eddie Jones, if, if it doesn't work out with England, he, he'll find a good job and he'll be successful. Have no fear. A dog for each day of the week. Wesley, I put it to you, I put it to you that you and I would never survive in a squad under Eddie Jones. What do you reckon about that? He'd be too soft. Well, you certainly him. wouldn't anyway. I but, wouldn't. Um, <laughs> geez, it might bring out the best to me who I don't know. Needs a bit of tough love. Yeah, what do you what do you think of Jones? I mean, I have to like the, the Times piece. I thought was a complete hatchet job, and we know the guy who wrote. I'm not going to name him, but I just thought it was absolutely. Like, it's, it's not, I, I, whatever about the interpersonal stuff, like the, the workaholic demand and standard stuff, like that's I wouldn't find that one bit surprising. Like, I mean, no. anyone who has to control a group of people is going to have to have some autocratic tendencies, particularly a group of professional sportsmen who are generally full of testosterone and egomaniacs to boot. <laughs> so you have to be able to shout the odds every now and again, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, right He's now, no Tony Grant, Hugh. Don't get that reference now. There's a crowd for you now, I tell you. Um, come, here, come here, what about the cookies, Wells, before we leave it? Uh, beating Lansdowne the last time. I, sc- I watched the highlights up on... It's brilliant that um, Irish Rugby on their Twitter feed, put up the highlights of the AOL games. They watch it. So if you don't get to go to the matches, as more often than not, you're, if you're working on other stuff at the weekend, and um, you see it. That winger you have, 14, I don't know what his name, but uh, he scored an absolutely cracking try the weekend. A win against Lansdowne at the Aviva. I mean, uh, you know, it looks like you lads are, are here to stay. You're here to fight for the long haul. What do you reckon, Wes? Yeah, I was actually was talking to Birch about that uh, during the week. Um, Connor Hayes is his name. He's... Um... 
his father was a fairly good club player with All Crescent and Munsters years ago. He was actually in my daughter's class in school and he was playing Ireland youths at the time. So I've been kind of watching him for a few years and yeah. he got a crack at the pro game um, and it didn't work out a few years back with Connacht. And he got, he's gone away. He's actually finished a law degree and he's kind of, uh, he's grown up. He's obviously kept training because he's, uh, he's built like a Polynesian every time I've seen him anyway. So um, he looks a serious player, great feet, uh, great pace, hat-trick there against Lansdowne. Like, to me, he looks like a guy that's could easily adjust to pro rugby. I, I was saying to Birch, I nearly wonder it's, it kind of goes against pro sport and competitiveness in a way, but should there nearly be a situation where there are a, min, a number of, say, three guaranteed contracts uh, to be handed out into the professional game in Ireland to go to three AIL players every year as an incentive? I'd say... Um... I'd say if you're if you're going to do it, do four. So each province, each province has to um, reward somebody if, as a late developer. I think it'd be look at. I think it'd be great for the league. I think it's great to see um, more players playing on a on a weekly basis. Um, I think it is brilliant as well that those get those little highlight clips are going up on our showbe.ie. But having said that, uh, there's English scouts looking looking at them as well, and he certainly he certainly caught the eye. So that's something um, maybe a, a byproduct of it. But yeah, I I would love to see. A space for a late developer. I think you know that example. A guy who was in the system fell out, but went and got his law degree. Has continued to uh, to look after himself. Looks to have have progressed. Um, I mean, that Lansdowne New Munster game was a very high quality. You know, right. there was there was lots of guys who who are will be pros or have been pro, there was guys who have been pros. Um, some guys just underneath that level maybe didn't get the opportunity. So, and he stood out uh, amongst you know uh, there was lots of good players on the field. But you know, I, I think it's uh, it'd be it's an idea, and, and obviously the the answer would be oh we don't have the money for it. But um, I think actually there's a bit of a spring in the step of the club game. And anything we can do to keep driving that forward now, keep fueling it, um, I think will be positive, Wesley. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for people who are wondering, Jesus, like Connor Hayes is in your daughter's year in school, what age is Wesley? You did have Jade when you were about 12, Wesley, just about on the record there. So I, 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 I didn't have her at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right, final thoughts this weekend, uh, gentlemen. Hey, yeah. Excuse me, excuse me, before you leave. You, you have noted who's after slipping into fifth place. Just one outside the playoffs. Yeah. I noticed no mention of the cons this week. Well, listen, we, we, said, we, we just... You're we ready, we wait and see. You talk about us when we lose. <laughs> we wait and see. I tell you, when you talk about, but, but when you talk about the quality, and let's be honest, that there, there's because the, the province is having the game for five weeks. There's a lot of young fellows are now being released out of the academy and the development, well, a, a fully contracted players to play in the club game. And in the last two, it's been brilliant. Uh, we played Trinity last week. Jack Dunn, my God, he's an. I didn't realize just how big this guy is. Uh, Leinster's second row. Mm. Uh, Sheridan, you remember, is it Harry Sheridan? Sheridan played in the under 20s. Remember for yeah, Ireland? Eamon uh, Sheridan. Eamon. No, Eamon was uh, second. No, 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 no. He's uh, Ulster. He's in the Ulster Academy out of Trinity. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, gee, he was absolutely outstanding. Uh, Rob Russell, another one over the Leinster. Well, I, in, in that Lansdowne New Munsters game, like for example, at one point you had Peter Dooley at loose head Harry from Lansdowne. Harry Sheridan. Harry Sheridan. And Keenan Knox yeah. at, at tight head. Like yeah. two guys who you're thinking maybe can step up fully, getting to go against each other with such an incentive on the line. Like, I mean, mm. it's so much more valuable than. Yeah. What the alternatives have been the last few years. Yeah. But no. you talk to the young fellas, uh, Wales. And, you know, I got, I, I spoke to Sheridan after the game. Um, 
and obviously speaking to our own fellas. They're absolutely thrilled. Some of them were given the option of having a week off or play a match. They couldn't wait to get up and get involved, which is brilliant. Jack Crowley now played in the last two games. Sean French played. Uh, Liam O'Connor, a prop, he, he's played one game. I think he might be available in the, the next weekend or so. But they're absolutely just crying out for game time. Um, now, the only thing that drives me mad, it's a bit of a marriage of convenience at the moment because the provinces are nowhere else. To, to get game time for these fellas. They're loading them all back into the AIL. Mm. But the minute they get A matches against somebody in Wales or England, they'll just run out of the clubs as fast as possible. There has to be give and take on both sides. The quality that they have added to the league in the past couple of weeks has been brilliant. And hopefully, as a consequence of this exercise during this five-week window, they'll become to realise that there is value in releasing these lads to play in, in some highly competitive game. Just just on that, Donald, you, you mentioned guys mad keen to play. I remember hearing a story about Dan Sheen. It's probably about 16 months ago. And Leinster had said to him, oh, you need to you need to take two weeks off now. You need to go away. All the rest of the academy players were going away. And he insisted on playing for Lansdowne. He went in and argued his case. I want to play for my club. I want to play for my club. And he was obviously out, you know, outstanding for that. Now, whatever, 16 months later, he's on the bench for Ireland. I mean, you know, you know, those young lads will never go wrong looking to play games. Um, and I think it's a great experience for them, mixing with lads who are doing it two nights a week, etc. The quality's good. Uh, there's a bit of spotlight on it. And I agree, there is some A games scheduled for, for this month. Um, and, I, and I just hope, I, I, look, I can see the need for the provinces to get a game together before they go back. But I'd hate to see them miss real opportunities to get some consistency as well in the in the club game. Yeah. I, think, I think actually, yeah. Bert, I think... Uh... As far as I know, I think Keenan Knox actually kind of presented himself to Munsters during the week last week as well. It wasn't something that was forced by Munster. I think he, he went to the club and said, I really want to play this weekend. They put him on the bench and he came Great. on. So just backs it up the point. Yeah, brilliant, lads. Um, all right, look, enjoy the game against Japan this weekend. It's a one o'clock kickoff, so nice and early. Get a few points after it. And hopefully the Aviva will be absolutely buzzing. It hasn't been sold out um, up until today at time of recording on Thursday, but hopefully there's a bit of a late burst on tickets and then it turns out to be an entertaining game. It's live on RT television, on RT radio and online as well, wherever you get your rugby this weekend. Enjoy the match. We'll talk to you next week, Ben. Enjoy. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.